0: Do you remember that time that I came to your house and you offered me coffee?
1: Welcome to the Cracked Cup Podcast. I'm Liz James. And I'm Ann Barker. And we hope you'll join us for a chat over coffee or whatever superior beverage you prefer as we talk about (laughs) mirth She's making that face again. And meaning. It's hard to make that
0: face and laugh at the same time. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and messiness. The things
0: where we try to be perfect with one another, it keeps us separate. It, makes it keeps me us in a
1: contest. Like a granolier than thou kind of contest? Yeah. This episode, Anne and I talk for way too long about coffee. Okay, so people, if you get
0: to go to Liz's house, don't accept the coffee.
1: We discuss how to be there for each other when things are really hard. long list of crappy things to say to people during times of trial. How do you know what to say instead? And we listen to Anne make a metric crap ton of fun of me for calling the cat a person and then proceeding to refer to her tomato seedlings as babies for about 10 minutes straight.
0: The tomato babies gave me hope. And I think what they were was a sign that I believed there would be a spring and I believed there would be a summer Yeah. and I believed I would still be here.
1: So welcome to this, our first episode. We are so glad that you've joined us. First thing that we have in our show notes is theological implications of bad coffee, which you forced me to write in. If you will recall when you were at my house and I made you a cup of coffee and you took a sip and you said, we should talk about the theological implications of bad coffee. <laughs> Do you remember that time that I came to your house
0: and you offered me coffee?
1: Yes, and I remember. Every time you come to my house, I offer you coffee, and then you say, "I'm just gonna run out to Tim Hortons. I'll be back in a bit." Do you remember that I asked you um, what the
0: coffee was? It was coffee. I mean, like, yeah, right. What,
1: what, um, what coffee are you offering me, Liz? <laughs> oh, you—you're getting it. That okay? So. Several years ago, when I got a divorce, we were splitting out all the stuff. And even though I didn't drink coffee, I took some coffee grounds so that I would have a way to make coffee for Anne when she came. Right. Is that what you're referring to? That is exactly what I'm referring to. The divorce coffee that I saved for you so as to nourish our relationship into the future? That's
0: right. I think that that was just a really loving and compassionate thing you did. Um, Do you recall
1: how old that coffee was? Well... But right. it doesn't seem to mold or anything like that. Okay, do a little math, the divorce It doesn't get better over three time. Three years. <laughs> I've tasted coffee. I can't imagine how it could get worse.
0: You know, I think one of the really important lessons is that the people who don't like the coffee shouldn't be the ones making the coffee. <laughs> I think that's a really important thing, that if you rely on the people who don't like the thing to do the thing, you're not going
1: to get the thing that you want it. <laughs> from the worship committee because people would say, I want a service that blah, 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 blah. And if they would describe something that I was not excited about, and then I would try and do that thing, it would be terrible.
0: That is not a good combo trying to do the thing that you do not like to do or know how to do, which you kind of had the double (laughs) header there with the not liking the coffee and the not really knowing how to make coffee and also um, having really old coffee that was very compassionate, but not... I know
1: how to make coffee. I Googled it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate your compassionate expression where you're trying to make sure that you have coffee in here because you want to welcome and comfort your guests into your house. And I think that's a really good sentiment. But um, trying to offer them something that you don't understand (laughs) that isn't really good might not be the best way to do it. So perhaps I would suggest that when you go to the house of a tea drinker, the best thing to do would be to say, thank you for the tea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I want to just point out that I also went to ministry school for a little bit. And I know that you just did a feedback sandwich with your like, I want to recognize your compassion and your blah, blah, blah. Your coffee is crap. Blah, blah, blah. I would re- recommend. I know that was a feedback sandwich. Okay, so
0: people, if you get to go to Liz's house, don't accept the coffee. Say, what are you having, Liz? Then I think you should drink what Liz is drinking. Unless, of course, you like wine, because that's not going to work out
1: either. <laughs> I oh, can make oh. wine, yeah. Tell them tell them how you make rosé. Enough people have laughed at that that I know that's not actually how you make one time I made a comment about thinking that, in my defense, it looks like you mixed red wine and white wine together to make rose. Like, if you look at rose, that's clearly what that looks like. Yep. Yeah. You can you blend the wine. It's just the people who don't drink it shouldn't be the ones who blend <laughs> it. The people who make the wine should blend the wine. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of judginess about my inability to absorb various drugs. It's okay. I understand yeah. you're not supposed to refer to coffee or wine as drugs. Another like tip for serving drinks to people, do not say, would you like another dose of either coffee or wine? People don't <laughs> like it referred to that way.
0: I, I, I think that we need to like
1: just be careful
0: here that the people don't discount you because we've already listed two of your mortal failings. Those are not mortal failings The not drinking coffee and the not drinking wine. I don't know. There's a whole like category of people who might just think you're not worth listening to now.
1: (laughs) It is funny to me how thoroughly coffee is a part of the UU identity in the group and elsewhere. And I have often wondered why. When we've had trouble filling the coffee roster at church and I have said, okay, well then we just won't have coffee. And Anne goes, (gasps) like, this is very important. Although... If the people don't volunteer to have coffee, then we shouldn't have coffee because you can't have the non-coffee drinkers make the coffee as has been established.
0: Do you know that at my congregation, they actually make good coffee now, which is a thing because that's not common in (laughs) Unitarian churches is to have good coffee. In my congregation, there are instructions on the wall for how to make the coffee so that anyone can follow the instructions. But if you follow the instructions, you actually get bad coffee because the people who make the good coffee are secretly adding extra
1: coffee. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. When you say coffee is an inherently important part of the UU experience, because I think of coffee primarily of, as something that produces a drug effect, what I hear is church is so boring that we desperately need caffeine in order to make it successful. <laughs> it's like if a comedian is like, yeah, I'm only funny if people are drunk. <laughs> so I think coffee is the symbol for
0: hospitality. It's the it's the message you're sending out that you are welcoming these people like you would welcome into your home, like you want to give people something when they come to your house. We're saying you're welcome here. Let me offer you a refreshment. I want you to stick around when the service is over. The coffee is the lingering tool, right? If you say, stick around and we'll ask you questions about your life so that we can try and pump you for information so we can get to know you better. That that causes a mass exodus, right? Heard of lemmings to the door.
1: You should have told me this before I became the newcomer welcomer, because that's more or less what I said. Right? I mean the coffee is the secret weapon to lure
0: people into the conversation about the details of their lives so that you can get to know them and welcome them in. You know, in some congregations, they give you coffee when you first get there.
1: Those are the ones where you know that the sermon is hard to pay attention to without caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ones that you know that the people really
0: care about your comfort and your well-being. Ah. <laughs> I mean, think about, think about the good events that you've been to, like workshops or programs or something. When you get there, they have a big table spread out with snacks and goodies, right? Doesn't matter what it is so much as that there has to be something
1: there to welcome you in. Okay, if you were handing out gummy bears when people first arrived, I would be 100% on board. I understand the need to give somebody sugar when they first arrive. Nobody needs to explain to me about sugar. Chocolate. That is is the basis of the
0: continental breakfast. (laughs) Why don't we give out chocolate when people first arrive? That is an excellent question. (laughs) that is an excellent you know my um my folks at westwood told me that they used to have make the coffee ahead of the service and that that was really good and i said well why don't we do that anymore? oh then you have to come too early okay so I
1: i have an idea with your thing about we should give coffee to people when they first arrive but nobody wants to get up that early okay did you know that you can get caffeine in pill format so then you can just have it ready And you can hand the caffeine to the people when they first come in and nobody has to arrive to make the coffee early. And it's a win-win for everybody. People get caffeinated and also nobody has to wake up early. And why are you making that face? People, she's making a face. So I'm thinking that what you
0: just said was that when the people come into the church, we should give them pills. How is it different if it's a liquid? I think that there is a pleasurable part it also gives you something to hang on to I mean if we had a group of people sitting in the chairs or the pews or whatever you have on the floor on their yoga mats and they're holding their hands out with little pills in them I don't think that that would really be the image we're trying to portray I mean you know there's no ancient stories about and then they welcomed the traveler into their home and gave them caffeine
1: tablets all right. All right. Okay. Okay. Speaking of the new and the welcoming and the first impression, it has occurred to me that we have launched into the theology of all the things, um, even though a significant portion of the people who come to this podcast, for background for people, this is a podcast created out of a Facebook group called the UU Hysterical Society, which mostly does humor. And... Mostly. Mostly. Well, people, you make a making a face theology can be fun and so uh people wanted something a little bit more and people were really enjoying the worship services that that we've done a couple of those and so we've made this as a further resource one of the challenges is that like 90 percent of the people coming into the group at this point are not unitarian universalists um so and i sprung this on you and i didn't warn you that i was going to ask this so we may have to record it a couple of times (laughs) but how would you explain what unitarian universalism is for someone who thinks that it is a joke religion that we invented for the point of this Facebook group? Hey, I'm a
0: trained professional. I can do this. (laughs) So Unitarian Universalism is a faith tradition that has its roots in Christianity, but it's um, shifted over time to become a broader, theologically inclusive sort of a group of people. So you don't have to be Christian. In fact, Christian isn't necessarily our dominant um, identity within Unitarian Universalism, although there are certainly Christian Unitarian Universalists. We have all kinds of folks who gather, um, lots of people who are inspired by earth-centered traditions or who like Buddhist thought or who are atheists or agnostics, free thinkers of all kinds who want to come together to have community. They want to have the opportunity of being together with people and figure out how to live a life of meaning and
1: value in the community, in the company of others. I'll sum this up as: Unitarian Universalist, you can believe whatever you want. I'm making that face again.
0: <laughs> I know you're supposed to squawk and then correct me. <laughs> so I think one of the really important pieces of um, of our faith tradition that we're trying to uphold is that we welcome all people of goodwill. And so we're trying to find a way that we can be different because all folks, all identities have differences. That we wanna find a way that we can be different, but also uh, live well together. But if you come in with a really strong opinion that one thing is right and the other thing is absolutely wrong, it's gonna be really hard to figure out how to work well together.
1: So would you say that you have to be accepting of a diversity of views on how to appropriately make coffee and which coffees are okay for drinking? Would you say that? (laughs) She's making that face again. It's
0: hard to make that face and laugh at the same time. I would say that there are many kinds of coffee and there are many kinds of coffee drinkers. (laughs) And there are people who drink the coffee simply because it's available, and people who are a little bit snobby about their coffee, and everything in between, and people who don't like coffee, and it's important to make room for all of these people and all of these ideas, and the person who doesn't like or know how to make the coffee or drink the coffee shouldn't
1: make the coffee! like take a moment to lift up the fact that we are defining everything in terms of coffee or not coffee and that we're centering that in the narrative and while I find that to be an improvement on what you believe in about God being centered in the narrative because that has always seemed to me to be a fundamentally boring question I don't think the entire religion is just about I mean, it's also about whether you clap on the one and the three and the two and the four or the two and the four. Oh, that is so, also very so important. important. Yeah, that's yeah. very crucial. Yeah. Uh, do you remember?
0: Do you remember the old joke about if there's a fire in the church building? No. There's a joke about in different faith traditions if there's a fire in the church building, what will each of the faith traditions save? Whether they'll save, you know, their um, their communion. Uh, Where, or they'll save a particular statue, or they'll save the Bible. The joke goes that Unitarians will save the coffee pot.
1: (laughs) In the Facebook group a little little bit ago, uh, someone posted a picture from their water communion or a video from their water communion. So water communion is... I don't know if this is true in the U S but in Canada during the summer, people don't go to church very much because we're out in the garden or at the lake. And that's also a valid spiritual practice. So rather than guilting people, when they come back in the fall, we sort of embrace that. And we, many congregations do a water ritual where people bring water from wherever they were over the summer. And they all tell the story about what they did and what was important. And then they pour it in the little bowl. it's really, really beautiful. It's a lot of people's favorite service of the year. And uh, Janine Grosemeyer, uh, posted in the coffee hour with the caption, For our water ritual, we were asked to bring water from a place that was sacred to us. And then there's a picture of the beautiful water communion bowl with the chalice in the background. And she's pouring water out of the coffee pot <laughs> into the bowl, which I wanted to tell you about because I thought that you would find that very funny.
0: <laughs> yeah. It makes, it makes me sad. Why are you making the face? It makes me sad. And I mean, I, I think it's true. I think it's totally true. Like, One of the dangers with the water communion is that it sometimes turns into kind of a travelogue. Like I went to France and I went to the lake and I went to Italy. And if you didn't go anywhere, then that can be a hard service to sit through if you just hear people talking about all the fancy things they did and all the beautiful places they went. But this year, well, let me back up. So if you didn't go anywhere, then the water you bring is probably from your garden if you're lucky enough to have one or from your kitchen tap. And it's one of the reasons we always have a jug of water on the table as the symbolic, this water represents the, you know, the water I drank. Um, Sometimes people talk about the tears they shed, you know, whether they were doing a big project and the effort or whether there was a loss or suffering or something. But I know when I, I know when you read The joke about or saw the picture about pouring the coffee water in the thing you thought it was funny because it plays on the coffee thing right it plays on Mm -hmm. that coffee thing for me when I read it all I could think about was how hard this season has been for everybody that so many of the things that we love and that are important to us and the traveling and the seeing our people and the going places and the new adventures we didn't get to do this summer because we've got this this crappy pandemic and so it's true and it's funny but it's also sad at the same time because it really represents how much we were kind of stuck at home and not together
1: yeah what was water communion like for westwood
0: westwood is my congregation um, oh yeah that's, Saskatoon is is that? that's right i'm in edmonton alberta and um well we we had to reinvent it. I think that's what this time of life is all about right now is reimagining how we do things and we identified connection as the number one thing that we're going to work on, right? We want to stay connected even if we're not in the building together. So we had a front lawn event with the water communion bowl on a table, and people came in their masks and six feet apart, and then they'd go and stand <laughs> by the communion bowl with their water, which mostly came from their taps and their coffee pots and their gardens and their tears. <laughs> and, um, and then you could take your mask off if you wanted, because the people were all really far away, and have your picture taken pouring your water into the communion bowl. So it was outside and socially distanced and safe, and uh, and then we put those photos together in a slideshow that was part of the Zoom service because we do our services online now. And one, what was really important, the big lesson for us in this was how much people really needed to see one another. Like that, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen the people in my congregation for the most part since March, and. Yeah. And even though we see each other on Zoom or we talk on the phone and occasionally have a drive-by drop something off to somebody's house, but we haven't actually been in the same place together
1: since March. Yeah, it's hard. That is a really creative solution. That's like a life gives you lemons. One of the cool things about Unitarian
0: Universalism is that we're not tied to a kind of a liturgy that means you have to do everything in a specific way, the same way every time. We can we can reimagine things, we can we can invent new things, we can find ways to be together in all kinds of ways. So that's a real gift.
1: Yeah. I've seen so many people do amazing creative things and also I'm getting so tired of having to be creative. <laughs> Uh, right. Someone posted something in the Facebook group that I thought was really poignant for right now. It's a picture of a bunch of onions and it says, life gave me onions. Onion aid sucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, think,
0: I think I back that up. Onion aid <laughs> sucks. I've never tried, so I don't,
1: I don't mean to judge. Just um, imagining, just imagining in my head. And the people who should be making the onion aid should be the people who like the <laughs> onion aid. <laughs> because you would make terrible onion aid. <laughs> let's see i can see (laughs) oh my god the cat just escaped the bathroom the cat crawled through the holes of the plumbing (laughs) to get into the room where i am (laughs) i'm sorry well clearly the cat wants to be a part of the podcast yeah i locked the cat in the bathroom and she just climbed down a pipe so i don't know how she what she did there but that's pretty impressive cat
0: i think i think you need to work on your inclusiveness (laughs) <laughs> because clearly excluding the cat from the podcast has had unfortunate repercussions it's
1: for not exclusion-based and but we have a covenant of right relations and people who walk across the keyboard can't be included in the podcast because they caused the recording to pause
0: you know that cat's not a people right bite your tongue <laughs> okay. My dog, anyway. on the other hand, is lying here
1: peacefully enjoying her participation in the podcast. Unitarian Universalism is a cat-based religion, but we accept dog people because of Lynn Unger primarily. See, look at this. Look at this. The cat. She's going to walk across the keyboard, and I don't want to hear any complaining from you. You know that people can't see the cat, right? Right. I'm describing the cat. The cat is perfect and beautiful. Say hello, cat, and then I have to take you away. Okay, I'm gonna lock the cat out just one second. I was thinking about how the whole thing about when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. In some ways I've found that really helpful. Like that gives me a sense of purpose. Where when this whole thing happened, I'm like, well, I'm gonna it's a new way of living now and I'm gonna figure out what are the best activities for this time and what are the advantages of this time. Right. what can I do now that I couldn't do before? And in some ways that's been really helpful. And in other ways it's just been exhausting. Like yeah. trying to make meaning and make it better and and I I can never know whether it's good to go that route or whether to just cut yourself some slack. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> one of the things that one of the things that I struggle with though, like we often talk about all the things that are not the right things to say when people are in pain so like right. let's make the best of it let's list all the things you're thankful for which is sometimes count your blessings Count your blessings which it can be helpful to count your blessings but it can be annoying to be told to do so not or... usually while you're sobbing yeah <laughs> or you know when god opens a window he closes it uh when god closes a door he opens a window which is supposed to be an upgrade in some way you're cannot... gonna that on so many levels <laughs> So one of the things that I wanted to do was have some element of advice giving, because a lot of the podcasts that I really like, people write in with questions and then people respond to them. I find that really funny. Of course, we don't have people asking a lot of advice right now. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you is there's this big long list of crappy things to say to people during times of trial. How do you know what to say instead? Right. So we don't say, at least in Unitarian Universalism, we wouldn't say God has a plan for you. And this suffering is a part of that plan, um, because the person you're talking to may or may not believe in God. So then what kinds of things do you say instead? You've told me you don't, you can't say, you know, there's an app for that. You're not supposed to say that when someone... <laughs> even when there is an app for that. <laughs> what, okay, insider trading.
0: Helpful? Insider uh-huh. trading, Liz has an app for everything.
1: That is very true.
0: <laughs> Liz is very helpful if you are looking for an app. If you just fell down the stairs, there is not an app for that. There might there's be an app, totally to people- an app for that. <laughs> Sorry.
1: I'm sorry, but that is totally making that face. (laughs) I'm just saying sometimes the 911 part is important. (laughs) There is an
0: app for everything. And it's not always the right time for the app. So to answer your question, what do we say in really tough things? Well, I think that the number one thing that, is of value when things are going really tough, is that the less you say, the better. Oh, shit. (laughs) Right? (laughs) This is going to be a problem for both of us. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when somebody is struggling, often they really just need to be heard, right? They need to tell their story. They need to know that they're not alone in their suffering, that somebody is listening to them. Um, it helps if somebody understands, but we don't always understand. Sometimes somebody is telling you about something that you know nothing about, like coffee or, or something that sometimes someone will tell you about something that y- you even feel a little bit judgy about, right? They might tell you that they've done something that they think is a bad choice and you might even agree with them. Often the best thing we can do is hear somebody and, uh, my experience has been that we need to tell our stories a bunch of times and we need to be heard by a bunch of people. Sometimes you can tell your story a bunch of times to the same person and that helps. Sometimes you need to tell it to a bunch of people. So mm-hmm. being a bunch of people is one of our superpowers if we can listen yeah. to each other. Right?
1: Okay.
0: If we're quick to fix it, if we're quick to jump in and give advice, then um, that doesn't always feel like being heard.
1: In our congregation, we have um, a moment where people share things that are going on in their lives. Sometimes really good things, sometimes really hard things. And at the end, and they each put a pebble in the bowl of water. And at the end, the service leader goes, "In our joy, and our in our sorrow," and the congregation responds, "We don't journey alone." That's it always gives me chills, and I love it. And part of the reason I love it is, it's not writing checks it can't cash. Right? It's not saying we're going to fix this. It's going to get better. It's blah, blah, blah. Because sometimes it doesn't get better. Sometimes you can't fix it. It's just saying we're here with you while this happens, which I just think is really beautiful. Yeah. There's a story that John Green tells. One of the things I want to do in this podcast is recommend things that I think are really wonderful. And there's a podcast called The Anthropocene Reviewed, where John Green reviews aspects of the human-centered planet on a five-star scale. And it's very funny. And he does one where he talks about Amy Rosenthal who was a mentor of his, and she was quite young when she got cancer. And John Green was initially studying to be a minister, um, and then for a variety of reasons decided to go on a different path. But he had extensive chaplaincy experience, and so she phoned him, and she said, I need to ask you, are my children going to be okay? Because she had small children. And John's telling the story, and he says, and I know what I should have said. What I should have said is, of course they won't be okay. This is something you never recover from. But they will rally and they will go on to have beautiful lives and you will be a cherished part of that because it's terminal cancer. So he has this beautiful speech that he's saying on the podcast. He says, and that's what I should have said to her. And what I did say was, how could this have happened? You do so much yoga. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just talking about, this is in a podcast talking about a number of things that one regrets. And he's like, I can't believe with all my training that that's the thing that I said. Right. But it's just, she was really important to him. And it, I, in that one, he talks about a number of things she used to do. She used to get people together and sing and do lots of like meaning, creation-y kind of things. He talks about how she would get everybody together singing, you know, the song, When should old acquaintance be forgot? Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Well, she tells the story about um, soldiers in the trenches singing songs. There's that story about that Christmas Eve and and how by the end of the war, they really weren't fighting for a cause they believed in anymore, so much as everybody was just exhausted and it was awful. And she tells the story of them singing, we're here because we're here because we're here because we're here. And she has everyone sing that in the audience and just talks about like, this is the moment we're in. And sometimes you make a meaning and sometimes you don't. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately. That's,
0: that's a theology I can really get behind, right? That we don't always have an answer. We don't always have. The meaning making that solves something, but the idea that we're here is so important. I have a very dear friend who's also a yogi, who <laughs> dealing with a with an aggressive cancer that um, totally caught her by surprise as well. And she posted something on um, on Instagram the other day. She does a little chat each evening, and she posted something about. That at this moment in her life, what she's figuring out is how to live without a future. Like, who am I without a future? We spend so much of our lives thinking about what we're going to do and what we're going to accomplish and what we do that's of value or of meaning to people. But who am I if I don't have a future? And, you know, she may or may not have a future. We don't know what what's coming but all of us know that at some point there's no future and that whole mindfulness piece about really learning to be present like that's what the song was about right we're here because we're here not for any other reason but we've survived this moment and here we are
1: I remember the first person that I ever went to visit who was dying and I was like so determined to do a good job of saying all the right things which didn't go <laughs> great I talked a lot about cheesecake um, but I was so determined to say the right things, and I was like showing up, and I'd talk to other friends who knew people who were dying. I was like, "What are the right things to say?" And so I was like, "I'm I'm ready for any conversation. Do you want to talk about death? I'm here for you." And I was the incoming chair of the caring connection committee at, at the time, and I was like, "So what do you want to talk about?" And she's like, "Let's go over the minutes of the caring connection committee meeting." And I was thinking, <laughs> geez like that is so not what I would want to do on my deathbed." <laughs> right she was thinking about the future right like she was thinking this is the person who's taking over from the role i used to be and i want to shore them up and set them up for success and i really benefited from her mentorship right at the end of her life and i remember thinking like i felt like i was taking from her like this was her time to be a person without a future and eat cheesecake and do whatever she wanted and instead she was investing that in me she was
0: securing her legacy
1: yeah and I eventually I came to understand that like that's what she wanted to do and so take your there's someone who there's a story that someone's told me about a person who was terminally ill who had the t-shirts made that said not dead yet on the front because Mm -hmm. she wanted to just keep on living I think about that in pandemic time too that in addition to people being people that are grieving and going through something hard we are also people who are still living like we've got stuff to do We've got projects and right things we want to accomplish. Well, when you were talking about
0: your mentor in the hospital, I mean, she was choosing with those precious moments she had left to invest in you because she saw you as somebody who was going to carry out in the world something she valued, right? That was something yeah. she thought was important, the care and feeding of the church people. And so I think that's the lesson that the pandemic is teaching all of us is what is it that's really important? I mean, when we all got shut down and that's eased up a bit now, although it's kind of looming over us again, but when we all got shut down and locked in, um, we learned really quickly what was important, right? Like toilet paper, for instance. <laughs> Having coffee was really important. Note to self, you can, you can filter your coffee through paper towels, but not through toilet paper. Um, I can't believe you wasted toilet paper in the middle of the pandemic, making your stupid coffee. It might be the case that we are people who plan ahead. <laughs> so we didn't have any hand sanitizer and we weren't uh, disinfectant white people, um, although we could be now if we ever found one in a store again. But we definitely were toilet paper people and we're never actually in danger of not having toilet paper. You can live with but the that's, toilet paper. You can live without toilet paper, right? I mean, how many of us raised babies and wiped their bums with not toilet paper? <laughs> when my I don't baby know, this is where we want to go with this conversation. <laughs> when my but baby I can tell know. you, I can tell you how to make personal white cloths out of the fabric you have lying around old t-shirts are excellent) I
1: mean, Up- uh... <laughs> Anna's going to make me delete this, but one time when we're, she's shaking her head, but she doesn't know what I'm going to say. When the babies were little, she came out of my washroom. She was over a lot, helping me take care of the babies. And she's like, God, I hate that toilet paper, the scratchy, and I was like, it's made of recycled things and it's good for the planet and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, it's hard to care about the environment when your ass is bleeding. Exactly. You you take that out. No, you can totally leave that. (laughs) I stand behind that.
0: I wish to be zero length <laughs> in my life, but I do not need my to be bleeding from the scratchy toilet paper. I would rather use old t shirts than single ply scratchy wrapped wrap toilet paper. It's that's what we're learning, right? What really matters if you're going to be at home, if you're going to be lonely, you want some creature comforts, and t shirts are way better than single ply scratchy toilet paper.
1: Yeah, this is maybe the time to give up on trying to have the perfect everything, right? (laughs) Because we were so perfect before this happened. But I was so sure I was going to be good at pandemicking because the thing that I'm good at is when things get crappy, I can make it fun. And I That's had all true. This That's true. You're good, good at, at making at. fun. When we used to travel, my partner was always the one in charge of making sure we caught the flight. But if something went wrong... He would like, just turn to me and be like, I pass you the baton. And I would be like, guess what, <laughs> toddlers? We have a surprise vacation in the Minneapolis airport. Yay! Yay! So I expected to be like that with the pandemic. And I so sucked. Like, I was just exhausted and really bad at it. And I remember posting on Facebook, this is what I thought my daily homeschooling routine would be. And this is what my daily homeschooling routine seems to actually be. And I'm so right. failing at this pandemicing. And Mike Phoenix from the group wrote, the main criteria for pandemicing well is that you're alive at the end, which helped me so much. That is a very important (laughs) theological statement. And I just thought, I don't have to do this that well. Like, I can shoot for doing it well, because I find that helpful. But on the days when that's not helpful, then I'm going to have my actual routine, which involves sleeping in and playing Mario Kart and blah, 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 blah.
0: Right. You know what got me was all the um all the sourdough starter and the fancy baking and all the things and it's like I've watched all the people who were learning to play four instruments renovating their basement and baking gourmet food and doing all these fabulous things and I thought you know I was really lucky to get through the day not crying
1: yeah me too me too
0: But I don't think they're exclusive. Like, I don't want to trash the good efforts because part of what I think gets us through is having something that you believe in, having a hope for the future. So for me, the big project that got me through the spring when everything seemed super scary and I didn't know if I'd ever get out of my house again, was I planted tomato seeds for the first time. So we have a, a little garden and we've always bought bedding plants for the tomatoes. And this year we planted tomato seeds and started them, these beautiful little tomato seedlings. And I had no idea if I would actually make real tomatoes. Like if yeah. they would grow up into something, I didn't have a lot of faith <laughs> in my super tomato growing skills. But um, But the tomato babies gave me hope. And I think what they were was a sign that I believed there would be a spring and I believed there would be a summer. Yeah. And I believed I would still be here. So sometimes that idea about who am I without a future, I mean, the tomato babies helped me believe in a future. It was a short future. I was only really willing to hang on to this idea that I could make it through the summer. (laughs) the tomato babies really helped and when those things went out into the garden and actually grew fruit I felt like a superhero in my own life but I was not sourdoughing, and I was I did not learn an instrument and you know I I couldn't accomplish a whole whack of things and to be honest tomato babies take 10 minutes to plant and you have to remember to
1: water them uh, but it wasn't a
0: high-tech endeavor
1: I bought seeds and I also planted tomato baby babies and I did not water them and they died. And then, but here's the theological part. And then Betty from church came and brought me some of her extra tomato babies and said, put these in the garden. So in the moment when you fail to water your plants, someone else can come and bring you some of their seedlings, which were better right, than she... your seedlings anyway. Well, I'll, I'll scratch that last bit. <laughs> She's giving me the face. Which were different from your seedlings, not better. See, Betty Betty heard your story <laughs> and she met your need. I she didn't actually really hear beautiful. my story. It was just a beautiful coincidence. Or maybe she just figured I was the kind of person who wouldn't have seedlings.
0: Do you think that you maybe didn't tell twenty-seven people that your tomato
1: babies died? <laughs> yeah, maybe I told a lot of people that my tomato babies died. <laughs> The power of community, man. The words, they get out there. That reminds me of something that someone posted in the Facebook group where there's a person looking at the phone and there's like flames coming out of it. And she's looking anxious and like, this is terrible news. And then there's a skull coming out of it. And she's looking really sad and depressed. And then she looks behind her and there's this little kid who's like humming and singing. And she walks over to the kid and the kid holds her hand and says, if the end of time arrives while you have a sampling in your hand, finish planting it. I thought it was a Aww. very... Yeah, it's by healthycomic.com. Nice. I'll put a copy in the show notes. I thought it was really sweet.
0: Nice. One of the mm-hmm. things I worried about was the tomato babies came to take on this really epic meaning in my life, right? And mm-hmm. that's a Unitarian thing. We don't necessarily believe that everything has a purpose or a meaning. We believe that we go through experiences and then we make meaning based on what we've learned and what we've experienced. So I was telling myself that, tomato babies were a good sign because they were a good sign that I believed that spring would come and I believed that I would still be here in the summer and I believed that we would live long enough to eat them. Um, I might have also (laughs) planted way too many tomato babies thinking that I would kill half of them and I didn't. So we had a lot of tomatoes. We might be slightly (laughs) pinkish-tinged now. But one of the things I worried about was what would happen at the end of tomato season. So I live in Alberta and we've already had frost warnings. It's, um, it's early in the year for frost warnings, but we've already had them. And our tomatoes have already dried up and finished their cycle, right? And I was really worried about when we ripped the tomato plants out of the ground, how, how was that gonna make me feel? Because the pandemic didn't go away. Mm. Just the tomatoes were going away. And I was surprised to find out that it actually felt good. Really? That I felt like I'd been through a whole cycle. I'd planted seeds, I'd raised them up. My long-suffering wife planted them in the garden and nurtured them into real fruit.
1: <laughs> because let's be fair, once they left the house, all I did was eat them. You're mostly in charge of the theological implications in the pontificating, and she does most exactly. of the watering. Exactly. <laughs> and I can pontificate while looking out the window.
0: So, um, so long suffering wife raised the tomato babies into adults and we ate them. (laughs) And when they were finished, it felt like we'd lived through this full cycle that, that, you know, there's a beginning and a middle and an ending, and we've come to the ending now we harvested, we canned, and then the tomato babies came out of the ground and it felt like, you know, we, we accomplished something. Like we lived through a cycle, like it was normal life. And we did the thing that mattered and now we're preparing for, I mean, now it's almost fall, and we're preparing for winter and thinking, well, of course you don't have tomatoes growing in your yard. And any of you who have tomatoes growing in your yard in the winter, I don't want to talk to you right now. So you just you just keep that nonsense to yourself. Let's you can share your Canada versus America stuff. You can share your tomato pictures on the Facebook group later and we can all say snarky things at you. but now I think, like, what am I going to do in the winter? Because that's a big thing I'm hearing about, right? How are we going to make it through the winter when it's minus minus 40? I'm going gonna...
1: to plant a podcast. Gonna We're going to plant, plant a podcast.
0: podcast. Yay! <laughs> Can I just say, talk about planting a seed and growing some babies. How many members does the Hysterical Society
1: Coffee Hour have now? I think 53,000. 53,000. Okay, but a lot of that is Kathy's doing. Let's be really clear. <laughs> like she's had it you for know the that... last year and she's done an amazing job. I think you have you've
0: done this great thing where you created something and then you shared it with the world and then the world owns it, right? That it yeah. just gets spread on. So Kathy is a real she's a real farmer of the <laughs> yes. of the yeah. podcast, right? She is the long-suffering wife of the she... podcast. <laughs>
1: I but he said the theological implications and took 10 minutes to stick the seed in the ground and kathy has done all the watering and hauling right? and, and the, digging and fertilizing. and the weeding and yeah. the fertilizing hey! weeds are a social construct
0: i love weeds
1: <laughs> we're going to talk about weeds are a social construct on a different podcast
0: liz liz i'll do anything to hang out with you
1: i would do anything to hang out with you too except Yay! except learn to make decent coffee <laughs>
0: I appreciate that you will let the coffee making go. I have brought my
1: own coffee this morning. <laughs> Meeting your own needs. As right? you reach so, only I
0: can meet my own spiritual needs.
1: That's exactly the thing. We can only meet our own needs, but we do it in each other's company. That's right. exactly the thing. Right. So in each other's company, I'm now like gracefully transitioning to what the podcast is. And I'm hoping that all of you will do what anything is the to podcast? hang out with us too. Okay. So here's like the larger context. A long time ago, there was a practical joke in 2015 that got a little bit out of hand, but was also really awesome and fun that Anne and I were doing. That's another story for another day. And uh, we needed a name for an email address. And so we picked the UU Hysterical Society, which is a play on the UU Historical Society, which is a big thing in Unitarian Universalism, or was. They changed their name. Ugh, That happens a lot. And so we created this Facebook group and then we didn't want, when the joke ended, we didn't want the humor to end because I really loved it. And so it just kept going and more and more people kept coming and eventually it got quite big. And that's when Kathy the Brilliant started to take over because she's much better at contextualizing things than I am. I'm a little bit goofier that got bigger and bigger and people started asking for something more we've collaborated on a couple of worship services which people really liked like people wanted something a little bit more than memes because this very cool community has now formed some of which the point is just to laugh but some of it is to talk about some of the stuff that really matters stuff some of it is we make products some of it is we run the facebook society we do worship services and we do uh now this podcast which is called cracked cup want to tell them why it's called cracked cup
0: no, you tell them why it's called Crack
1: <laughs> So there's a songwriter, Leonard Cohen, who has a song that's really famous. Canadian. Anna, who's Canadian. Um, and the lyric is, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in, which I really love. And I was doing some research on that and I could trace it back. It traces a number of places, but one of the places it traces is Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was a Unitarian minister years ago. and American, because we, yeah, we share. Yeah, because we share over in boston Concord, that kind of area and he wrote there is a crack in everything except reason which really pissed me off because in that that culture they sort of saw reason as like this unbiased impartial thing that they were bestowing upon the world so really it means there's a crack in everything except the world as according to ralph waldo emerson we we like reason, but
0: we don't think it's the only sacred thing in the universe. Kind of like coffee. Important,
1: but not the only thing. The other reason I like cracked cup is because it's a metaphor for the chalice, and that's how the coffee can get out. That's right. <laughs> um, so we picked cracked cup because it's a bit of a play on cracked up, and also because the chalice is a really important unitarian you know, Universalist symbol, and also because of that whole the light gets in, but also the that's how the light gets out. Like... Talking about doing the best we can and the times where I've posted, I'm not pandemicking so great. Those are the times when I feel like I've actually been most useful to people. Like being honest about when things are hard, you think that that's giving up on something, but really that's actually a real thing that actually connects us. And so the part about that's how the light gets out in addition to getting in is really important to me. So just that's one of the disclaimers
0: that needs to go with this podcast is that we're not going to be perfect. We're going to practice compassionate imperfection because that's what we want to model out into the world. So the things where we try to be perfect with one
1: another, it keeps us separate. It makes us in a contest. Like a granolier than thou kind of contest.
0: Yeah. 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 Or a smarter or a more reasoned or whatever. Yeah. I'm not interested that. No, we're trying to figure out how to be real together. And being real means we have to bring our brokenness as well as our well-being and our wholeness. So I can tell you about my tomato babies as the great win, but I also need to tell you about the things that didn't work, right? The things that I struggled with. That's what makes it real because we're never going to be united and connected and have a meaningful existence together if we're in a contest for who's better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you said that because I missed that in all my talking about stupid Emerson. Well, you're not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I was drinking water and I nearly spit it on the keyword. <laughs> I need to come up with a really quick theological implication of that I was drinking water at that moment, since this is the water pot. God, oh, oh! This is the water one pot. One should cap. not, one should not drink and breathe at the same time. <laughs> so speaking of water communion. There is, um, so you you have to keep track of a jar of water communion water from year to year. That's one of the ministerial duties, or you have to fake it, but we're not going to get into that. And I can see on Anne's bookshelf behind her, the water communion water for Westwood, and it has a sticker on it that says now contains 20% more holy water, which is a great sticker that you can put on... Um, it comes in a little package of three. One says, this is my spiritual practice. One says now contains 20% more holy water. And one says for when thoughts and prayers are not enough. And people buy That's them. the best sticker package in the world. I know. And people like for when thoughts and prayers are not enough can go on like your fire extinguisher. Or I like to put it on my sugar jar. <laughs> <laughs> now contains 20% more holy water. Can go on like cleaning supplies. It can go whatever. It's It's a cute little kit. And so one of the things that we are doing with the podcast is we're also going to launch a Patreon. So for people who want to support Mirth and Dignity and all of the different things that it does.
0: And we want to be able to interact with you so that you can yeah. help us figure out how to be a force of good in the
1: universe, right? We, we're we nothing if we are not in community. <laughs> That's the other thing that I have finding. I love the Hysterical Society. It's really fun. It is very large. One of my hopes with switching over with Patreon is it's a way of... Finding the people who are most excited about what we're doing, finding that core of people and having a more in-depth conversation with that core of people, which is something that I'm really excited about. I always thought that a 50,000 group would be like the most exciting thing ever, and it is, and it's wonderful, but there's a real loss to not having a group of 100 or 200 people where you can sort of get to know people a little bit better. So I would never trade it, but I'm really excited that we found a way that we can have both. Liz from the future here. At this point, the power cut out in my house, so we lost the rest of it. I'm convinced this was the cat. So here's the rest of what you need to know before Anne closes us with a blessing. As is often the case with church, you have to sit through the announcements in order to reach the good part. The idea behind the Patreon I was trying to explain is to provide a place where people who want to go a bit further than the jokes on Facebook can engage. So pledging is built into that platform, but we're setting it up so that you don't have to pledge to be a part of that smaller community. There'll be info there about our worship services and stuff from the podcast and a mix of fun stuff and serious stuff. And it will be a space for us that's not dependent on Facebook, about which many of us have mixed feelings. So this whole thing is an experiment. I don't know if this is going to be something that will excite people. But if it does, I want to see it continue for more than just the 10 episodes that the funding panel grant covers. So there will be a monthly pledge option, and the funding panel will match the first $2,000 that we raise. So I'm hoping that at least some of you will sign up to donate the cost of a cup of coffee or two per month to support us. For those people, there's going to be some extra bonuses like bonus content and downloadables, and we're going to host a joke night. And our first 30 pledgers will get the sticker sheet that we mentioned in the podcast sent to them in the mail. And all of the pledgers will get a downloadable special gift. That said, all of the core stuff, like the podcast, the worship services, the community, all of that is for everybody. Oh, and the Patreon also has a copy of Anne's Blessing in its own little file in case you want to use it for your own worshipy purposes. Our final announcement is that our next worship service will be this Sunday, October 4th, 2020. And we'll be telling the full story of how the Hysterical Society got started. I'm really excited about this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Our next two services after that are November 8th and December 6th. And there'll be information about all of that on the Patreon, patreon.com slash mirthanddignity, and also in the show notes. The link to the Facebook group will be in there as well. We really appreciate each and every one of you listening, and the support of so many of you over the years. You know who you are, and without you, none of this would have been possible, and we are so grateful. And now, a cracked cup blessing of the holy water in your life.
0: For the times when the coffee is too weak or the tea is too strong and when it's hard to tell the baby from the bathwater, we take a moment to give thanks anyway for the remarkable truth that we are all connected, all united by something as simple as water. In the midst of a global pandemic, we are acutely aware of the most basic elements in our lives, the elements that nourish and sustain us, that have the power to help, or to harm us that we cannot live without and sometimes cannot easily live with. In a perfect world, everyone would have enough, enough of everything, but it's not a perfect world. Cracked cup blessing for water. Spirit of life and truth and love. We offer a blessing for what we have, for what we know and for what we need. We offer a blessing for water. All water is holy water, from the sky or from the sea. It's not holy because we pray over it. It's not holy because we pour it in a church. It's holy because it is the stuff of life. Returning and cycling through the plants and animals, oceans and streams, cells and seeds, again and again and again. May there be enough. May it meet the needs of all the beings on the planet. May we remember to appreciate it and to share it with grace and with goodwill. Even when the
1: coffee sucks? Especially when the coffee sucks. Blessed be. (laughs) And amen.